It's good to be here again tonight, and don't you just love flexibility? Brother Mike was here just uh, adjusting as God was working, and the battle is still belonging to the Lord, and we know that, and we thank God for that too. Because when we keep the battle with the Lord, uh, some great things happen. When we make the battle ours, uh, it gets pretty difficult. Someone tonight says, well, I sure hope we're going to get to the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> well, I'm hoping we get there too. Because, uh, you know, you're, I think we'll see as we get to the 23rd Psalm, from the 22nd to the 23rd, that you, we're seeing chapters, but really the flow going from the 22nd into the 23rd could almost be without chapters. You just see the flow of what happens as God works mightily. If you'll remember with me, last week we were in Psalm 22 and we were looking at several of these prophecies that speak of Jesus dying at the cross. And during the week I was thinking about that. I think I mentioned last week, if you look, most a lot of times people say there's about 400 prophecies that are prophetic of Jesus, maybe 100 of him dying on the cross. But I would propose when this word of God is finally revealed, we know as we're known, there will probably be thousands of prophecies that speak of Jesus. You know, he's just everywhere. You open the Bible and the Lord Jesus is there. We ended last week in the 15th verse of the 22nd Psalm. And for just a moment, we're going to linger yet on the suffering of Jesus. We're going to look a little further into Jesus' suffering. But then we're going to begin, and this is what I love about the Bible, we get to enjoy the triumph of this suffering after we go through the suffering. And we get to see what that suffering does for each of us as his children, even tonight as we claim this. Now, verse 16, David has used a, a, a term earlier, strong bowls of Bashan, and the Syrian bulls encircled him. And again, David is still dealing with his own journey as he's writing this. He is in turmoil and suffering. But what he is doing as he's writing this is he is speaking of something far greater than the journey he himself was experiencing. He was speaking of Jesus and what Jesus was going to endure in a few hundred years when he came and gave his life as a ransom for the world. 16, for, for dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, we don't have anything that tells us exactly where David was in this description of suffering entirely, but I believe as we come here in the 22nd Psalm and we get to this point, we are seeing this so clearly depicting the, the very suffering of the Lord Jesus. And it's like all of a sudden we're almost forgetting about David writing this inspired by God because of even where he was, and we are seeing a great and mighty picture of Jesus' suffering. Now, right here, this is, again, there are many prophecies that go from the old to the new. But here tonight, as we look at this, let's turn in our Bibles over to John chapter 19 and linger at one of these prophecies. Beginning in verse 23, and we want to just look at this because here it says, they, in, verse, in the 18th verse, it says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But as, now, as we go over here in verse 23, it says, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves... Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture 
might be fulfilled which said, they divided my garments, here we are, among them, and for my clothing they did cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now let's get this. Uh, These soldiers had no idea what they were fulfilling in biblical prophecy as they were doing this at this very time. But this is how how amazing God is. When he speaks, it comes to pass. And that's what we find on fulfilled prophecy. God speaks, it comes to pass. God says it, it happens. And his word is completely true. And we could keep looking on there. It speaks about how they're stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and probably one of the most precious uh, verses, verses and passages in the entire Bible that was Mary was with our Lord Jesus at the cross. But now as we go back into the 22nd Psalm, we're going to see David. He has been speaking as he's writing this of they cast, they, they persecuted me, they cast me away. But all of a sudden he begins to make a little turn. You'll see the turn. He's beginning to speak of you, Lord. You, but you. And you'll find this often as a pattern in the Psalms. David will start, me, my, woe. It's really hurting. And then all of a sudden he starts going out of that and looking up and seeing the Lord Jesus. And here, as as we follow this further, he says in verse 19, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. But I want to linger. I want to linger on the last statement that David made there. You have answered me. And David, in his own suffering, was beginning to sense the hand of God. You have been there too. I have been there. That place for a moment, there was no place to go. We did not know how we got where we were. We had no answer. But just like David here, he stops and he said, but you have answered me. And we can look at this and see how this just is a catalyst through which the chapter now turns. He turns to the answer, the solution. And we'll begin to see the result of what the suffering has done. And as we continue to follow him here, and but he a moment says, Lord, you're here. If we would follow him earlier in this psalm, he seemed like a long ways away, but now he reached the point, God, you are here. You're right here. I can feel, I I can sense your presence. And I believe that many of you, if we just stop tonight and say, come up here and give a testimony, just come up, give a testimony of the presence of the Lord Jesus and when he came and how it was, you just sensed he was there. And, and really, oftentimes, at those, in those places, the words are too cheap to describe the entrance of the presence of the Lord into the life of an individual. And here we have something happening. Notice here what happened, happened, David does now. He's turning away from his sufferings. He's turning towards the Lord, and he says, I will declare your name. Lord, your name to my brethren. And there is one more prophetic psalm I want us to get there before we leave this. Turn with me over to John chapter 20, verse 17. And this is a a prophetic psalm, a prophecy that is fulfilled here in John 17. And this is after Mary encountered the Lord Jesus after he had risen from the dead. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Jesus is is giving this commission at this very time, take the message, take what you have seen, what you've heard, what the Holy Spirit has, has given you, and go to your brothers. Share what you have seen. And that message is just as real today. But notice what David is saying here. I'm going to declare your name in the the brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, 
For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of his afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. And I love that in the, in the Psalms because David is giving a promise that we can claim no matter where we are tonight. When he cried, he heard. When we cry, God hears. It doesn't matter where we are at, what we have done, where we're at. When we cry, God hears. But now let's begin to go further because we want to get over the 23rd Psalm and we want to look at the result of what has happened with David, but also the result of what happens through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll begin to see prophecy here that is speaking of what happens in a believer's life when they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and he begins to live in and through them to his glory. Verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. The result, praise. Of who? Of the Lord. The praise is not of us. The praise is what God has done. And notice where David said in the great assembly, I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Another result of the cross is life. Praise and life comes because of the great sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. And whenever we look at that sacrifice and you look at how bad and awful it was on one side, on the other side, what comes out of that exceeds anything that went what, what happened at the cross. And this is what is so amazing. We will, the Lord Jesus suffered so tremendously but the result of praise and life, eternal life, just rings uh, through this. I'm going to turn one more place here in John chapter 6, verse 51. At one of the other areas that will speak of this life. Jesus came. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father but by, but by me. But in verse 51... He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. John chapter 6. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Not only is he the son of God, he is the, he is the life of the world. He is the only hope of the world. And here he is speaking of this as, he is, as David is writing the poor shall eat it, be satisfied, let your heart live forever. Ever. All the enders of the world shall come and remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. One of the things that uh, happened at the cross is the wall of partition between us and God was broke down. The middle wall of partition. Uh, our sins had separated us and our God. There was a gulf that we could not cross. A gap was too wide. And the Lord Jesus Christ came, gave his life, and through that one sacrifice for sins forever, the gap was closed. But something happened through that that went far greater than just us. And we will see this psalm speaking of this. All the ends of the world shall remember. In Jesus Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Male nor female, bond or free. Christ is all and in all. And through the work of the cross, every wall of partition in every society and in every culture falls down and the ground remains level at the foot of the cross. The access to the Father is the same. You can go in a country like India where, there, where we support as a, a fellowship where there is hardly no one there who's ever heard of Jesus. And yet if they believe by, in their heart, their access is exactly like the one who was raised many generations believing. And here, if you'll, you'll linger at this with me, we'll see the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. The gospel is going to keep going. We would see this in Acts. It just keeps spreading. It goes around the world. 
It goes to the most unusual places. All the families of of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Now, one of the things that uh, we, we have not spoke of yet here, and we'll just briefly go here because it's so profound, is Isaiah chapter 53. I think I, last week, I was thinking about this during the week, that Isaiah chapter 53 is just solid prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ's suffering. But if you'll turn with me, over to Isaiah chapter 53, we're looking at how, how this sacrifice of the Lord Jesus that took place years later and yet prophesied of here would spread so far. But Isaiah spoke of this in Isaiah 53 in verse 10 when it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When you will make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. And what you see at the cross is the gospel just keeps spreading. We are at a place today that we're on a threshold of the very last days of the last days. And yet yet there there are those in many places of the world that have never heard the gospel. But there's also places the word is spreading like a fire. And that fire is it's just like dropping a match on a wheat field. And people are just coming to Christ by the thousands and the millions because even, even our brother in India is sharing that everywhere he's turning, there's more need, more need. Dev and I are praying about a time to go because God's already got his man there. But he has no one else. This is what you find often in some of the places God has placed us. God's got his man. He is the man to be there and to share the gospel. And God will raise up other men, and he's starting to raise up other men. But still, the word of God teaches this principle of making disciples and going out and discipling and mentoring and encouraging. And really, in many ways, this is our calling This is one of the great calls of the church of Christ is to make disciples be willing to go. As the Lord, as the gospel went out, he's also asking his people, be free to go out. Let me take you and spread you where I want you to go. It is always a temptation in good Christian homes and good Christian life to begin to incubate and come closer and closer and not allow the Lord to just spread us out. But this is what the gospel teaches, and this is what is being prophesied here, is that the word of God just was, would go out way beyond the furthest border, and it's still happening today. And I think if, you know, you know I, I remember the first area God used uh, to educate me really in this area was really the voice of the martyrs, and I don't know how many of you here have read it, but for many, many years read that. And the first thing that caught me is these people are giving their life for Jesus all over the world and they're doing it with joy and they're suffering and people are coming to Christ. This is amazing that this would happen. And that is so true. But, but, it, but it's also true that um, God says, you are also to be my witnesses. I want you to spread also. It may be just to the neighbor. God may be saying, I, I want you to be a friend to the guy across the street that isn't always easy to be a friend to. I want you to, to have someone in your home that can't pay you back. This is what true hospitality. And this is also one of these truths. Now notice verse 29. All the prosper of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the death shall bow before him. Now we're seeing not only a re- the result of life, we see worship, we see now blessing, and he, even he who cannot keep himself alive a posterity shall serve him. It shall be recounted to the Lord, to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done it. And here Isaiah, I mean, David is writing of something that's going to happen that yet not has happened. And that is a people that are not a people will hear the gospel. And this is what is still happening today. It is happening all over the world. 
I remember we were in India last year. I guess it was last year we were there, and there was a young girl that was given to us to kind of be like our care provider during service, between services. And, and I'll never forget, she says, do you have, we've been told that they made right there as, a fa as families uh, $10 a month is what their average income was per family. And so this girl just asked, do you have any American money? And I had a 20. I usually carry something like a 20 and a, and a $100 bill. And I said, I'll show you a 20. And she opened that 20 up and she says, what does it mean in God we trust? She had never heard. She didn't know who God was. So we had the privilege of explaining to her how God is the one who created the world, and she had never heard that before. And how we, we, we are in a nation that truly has acknowledged that from its foundation when we, first, we were first birthed. And she says, that's amazing. Then one of the next things she says, could I have it? And I prayed about that for a while, and finally I, I told her, I said, I could really hurt you if I let you have that. But I will tell you what you can do. Um, I'm, her name's Monica, and I said, Monica, what you can do, what, Dev and I will pray about it, but I'll give it to you if you would promise that you would share it with the poorest of the poor of your village. And she says, that's exactly what I want to do. And I have no question she did. But I give us that as we're looking at how the gospel not only goes up, goes in, into us, the gospel goes out. And this is still a call to us too. The Lord says, I give you the gospel to share it with the poorest of the poor. Sometimes we're looking over the top. We're missing God's target. We are looking somewhere else but where God's heart is at that time. And he, he wants us to respond Verse 30, a posterity will, be, will serve him. It shall be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. And here we are seeing prophecy speaking of how the gospel would go from generation to generation, from heart to heart, and it would just continue. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people that will be born, that he, the Lord, has done it. And once again, his righteousness, and he did it. They will declare it. It's his righteousness. God did it to a people that would be born. Now we get a flow into the 23rd Psalm. It's probably the most quoted, memorized Psalm in the entire Bible. But when we look at the, the Psalm in the context of what we have just came out of as we've looked at the, the prophecies that spoke of the Lord Jesus and his death, we will begin to see that the 23rd Psalm is speaking of the result of what the Lord Jesus Christ does within us and what the Lord does within us. It's a beautiful Psalm. It's, uh, it is blessed. It's probably one of the most common Psalms that's ever been used at funerals. Um, I'm sure it has nurtured many of your hearts at different times, at different places. But as we look at it tonight, uh, I, this is what is so beautiful about the, the, the Word of God, is every time we read it or look at it, its beauty comes to us a different way. And I don't know how that will come tonight to you, but I believe it will. David, again, is still, he's still the psalm. He's writing. The Holy Spirit is speaking through David. And now... He says, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, it's easy to say that really easily, fast, quick, the Lord's my shepherd. But you know what David is really saying? I'm a sheep. I am his sheep. If God is my shepherd, I am a helpless, wandering sheep apart from the Lord Jesus. I am defenseless. I will wander away from God. And David here was claiming something so important for each of us as Christians to claim regularly in order for there to be victory in the Christian life. And that is, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I caution us here because it is so easy to place an idol between us and God. It happens so easily. John, the Apostle John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. David wasn't there. He was looking and saying, it is the Lord who is my shepherd. And as he is speaking of this, not only is he speaking of his helplessness, but as a shepherd of the sheep, he knew how needful it was for the flock to have him around them at all times. David is recognizing that not only am I a sheep, but God is so powerful because I'm a shepherd boy out here in the hills of Bethlehem, and I recognize how much my shepherding affects the sheep. If I leave, they're going to die. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. There are times in every Christian's life that God must take us back to this truth, and we did not realize we had forgotten it. It slips from our hearts without realizing it. I am a sheep. God is my shepherd. Verse 2, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. David, as a shepherd boy, would recognize how sheep would not know how to get to the best pasture. He would try to lead them. He would try to direct them. But the sheep would wander away and go somewhere else. And here David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, what's, what's an unbelieving thing for me, even as I think about this, is how many times the Lord has just said, come here, come here, John, sit down. Graze here. And I said, that's not where I want to graze, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm a preacher, okay? That's just kind of what God made me. And many times I think, Lord, I just like to preach. And the Lord said, no, just graze here. And he said, it's the best grazing. It's the most healthy grazing. It is, it, there's the most nourishment. But notice what happens. The Lord gives a nudge. You know what David is recognizing here? Those sheep won't, won't choose the green pasture. You know, Isaiah says it like this, all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We run from green pastures. We miss them. We look for, well, what's that song? Looking for love in all the wrong places. That's just what flesh does. And here David, sa David says it, it right here. He says, he, the Lord, makes me lie down in green pastures. For a moment, it almost looks like uh, David would have a rod. He would use that rod gently. He would use that rod sometimes more firmly, sometimes that rod, sh rod sharply. He needed to get the attention of the sheep. Sometimes he'd even break one of their legs to get their attention because he knew that if he did not do that, they would not go where they should go. How many times has God touched us in some way to get a response from us that we would not have made unless his touch was there? He leads me beside the still waters. And once again, you notice it's all about the Lord. He's my shepherd. David is saying, I will be totally content there, but he makes me lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. I miss where the blessing is, is what David is saying. He's like, I can look out and see the sheep, and the sheep will go right past the blessing. So the loving hand of the shepherd checks the sheep so the sheep can stop and drink at the purest, most nurturing water that they would ever get. 
Now, this entire song is really just speaking about how much we need the Lord. It is speaking about just how much we need God, but it's also saying something else so great, and that is how sufficient God is. But he's also acknowledging as we look through this psalm how easy it is for us to miss this in, in our life wherever we are. He, this again, we're back to the Lord. He restores my soul. And I think of David bringing back a wandering sheep. And even Jesus one time says, well, what man of you, if he had 99 sheep and one of 100 sheep and one of them would ever go astray, would he leave the 99 and go after the one that has gone astray? And Jesus says, yes, he would. He would. He would go after the one that's gone astray. And David is acknowledging here his need of a restoration of his soul by God. I need restoration. I wander away. I go to the wrong pasture. I look for the wrong water. And somewhere the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the perfect shepherd reaches out and restores me. How many times has God protected us tonight in amazing ways from disaster? And I recognize right in this congregation, we, we have all made mistakes and made poor choices at times, and we have failed the Lord. But when we look at the rest, restorative hand of the Lord, today a brother texts me from California, and he says, if you, could, if you could grab one attribute of God and just hang on to it, which one would it be? And I looked at that and I thought, Tony, I don't know what to do because it's too big. But then I just wrote love, love. Because love is restoring. Love is forgiving. Love is giving. And I waited and pretty soon he came back and he said, yes, that's exactly what hit me, the love of God. And here David is saying, is saying this, he, the Lord, restores my soul. How many dangers has he protected us from? How many pits has he pulled us out of? How many places has he, has he protected us from an evil we did not even know existed? In our, in, when in our own selfishness, we was running towards destruction. And David says, he, the Lord, restores my soul. You notice David is going beyond a sheep now a little bit because a sheep doesn't have a soul. This is now moving into the spiritual man and woman, the inner heart of the being, as David, as David is taking this further. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He's saying, I wouldn't choose the path of righteousness. I don't want that. I want my way. I want my vision. I want my goal. But David says it here. He, the Lord, leads me in the path of righteousness. He says, I've got to have you go down that path or you will not have the path of righteousness. And how many of us have resisted the path? How many of us have said, not that way, God, not that way? Matter of fact, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll, but that? And here David says, he, he, the Lord, leads me in the paths of righteousness. And then notice why he does it. It isn't even for, he's not even saying for your protection. He's saying for his name's sake. Because his character and his being is so perfect and his love is so great. And his glory is so magnificent that he wants that his own name to be revered and glorified and magnified wherever his children go. 
He wants his name to be left out. See, often when we don't choose the path of righteousness, we're also choosing not to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, we, get, we hear this term, my way or the highway. And here David is saying, the Lord gets involved to lead me in, a, in his way, not my way, for his glory, his namesake, for his honor, not because I can have whatever, but because of who he is. You see, God doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us in spite of who we are. God has an amazing love, but as he begins to speak here of this, and he says, for his name's sake, then David stops and he, he looks back and he says, yea, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now that's been preached at a lot of funerals and I don't take it away because it has an application. Remember the, uh, the last time we spoke, we talked about how often the Bible has dual or multiple applications to the same there may be a primary, there may be a secondary, there could be a third. And here David is saying, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I have a friend that uh, really is a precious friend in the state of Washington where he used to pastor. One day he walked into the church. He sat in the back of the church. Someone had brought him, just offered him a ride. And his name was Robbie. I got to know Robbie. We became very close. I never realized that the two guys so different in so many ways found so much likeness in another. He had elephantitis, if you know what that is. He has an enlarged head, but his heart toward God was just unbelievable. And it still is. Had a stroke at about 55 years old and was never able to walk back into church. And he, he's still at a daycare and Devin, I was just up there a few weeks ago and stopped in and spent a, some good time with him and, his, and the folks that are there. But Robbie, when he reached, he, has, he doesn't know where any of his family lives. He, knows, he doesn't know any, anything about any of his parents, never did. Just a homeless guy that found Jesus. And that's who he is. But you can never get with Robbie, and none of you could either, and sit in his presence for 15 minutes without him giving you a word that will linger from the Lord, that will linger on your heart for a long time. Amazing. Sometimes we would sit for hours in, in difficult times, and I didn't know what to do, and I'd just plop down beside Robbie, and he'd look, and he'd just give me a word, and I would leave. And It was amazing to watch this guy. But Robbie had a challenge uh, when he got 60, he knew that elephantitis takes your life early and he recognized that he may not live long and he called me and I got over there and he said, I never had this problem before, but I'm going to die. And this thing of walking through the valley of shadow death with no family is a very, very difficult thing. And it was a very real battle of Robbie's life. There was about two months until the Holy Spirit rose and just triumphed over that and the fear of dying without no one but no family but yes friends we said if we're there we're not there like we were now he's 70 but there's something else here that David is driving at I believe that we want to get tonight and that is that and I have read this and maybe some of you could even elaborate on this but there is even through Israel, if you, when, if those of you who have been in Israel, you have steep, sharp cliffs that go up. And in those cliffs would dwell many mountain lions and bobcats and, and various types of, of dangers, even sometimes thieves. And some of the shepherds would get to the place that they would call those the valley of the shadow of death because they had to get the flock through a dangerous place. They had to be bold enough to walk through danger and be okay with that. And it's possible that what David's saying is when I, as a shepherd, get to the valley of the shadow of death, I have no fear. The danger is there, 
the wolves, the lions, whatever surround me, possibly thieves, but I carry no fear. Because here was the reason David was looking past the wolves, the lions, and the valley of the shadow of death, because you, Lord, are with me. You're there. You're not going to allow me to be overcome in a dark valley. You have been there and so have I. You may have never been to Israel, but you have been there. You have felt the, the arm of the enemy. You have sensed the attack. You've heard the whisper of the enemy. Jesus was there, even at the cross when he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice to the sins of the world. But here David was there, but notice what he said. I will fear no evil because you, God, are with me. You make the difference completely. I give this to you tonight because there is no other person that makes a difference. He is the only true God. He is the everlasting Lord. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the Alpha and Omega. His strength knows no limitation. His love knows no boundary. And here David is simply saying, you're there, God. When I'm there, you're there. And because you're there, when I'm there, I do not need to fear. It is just a couple verses, chapters later, when David in the 27th Psalm would say, let's just look over there, flip over with me to Psalm 27, verse 1. This is, David, David is, is writing here in its exuberant declaration of his faith, and he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army man camp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war will rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David had a very conscious awareness of the presence of God in the deepest, darkest places he walked. But if we follow this in the Psalms, we find out it didn't just happen immediately. For a while, he cries out. There's a hopelessness. There's a desperation that comes with David. And then all of a sudden, God is there. Many, many, many of you have experienced that. You have all of a sudden just felt that calm that just settled in your heart, and it was okay. It didn't mean we got out of the valley of the shadow of death. It didn't mean that. I believe we've been hearing teaching here. Uh, Pastor Brad may have taken this last week, even on the storms, and we'll be looking at that again this next week this weekend, but the storms that the disciples found themselves into, one of the things that's interesting is they were walking, Peter and Jesus were walking back to the ship together. The storm did not cease until they got in the ship. Jesus was showing Peter a really powerful lesson. I am the master of your storm. I am the one to calm every fear to strengthen you in a time of need, to give you nourishment in times when you just can't quite go on. And David here also says, "You are. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We say, hold it, a rod. Your rod, God, comforts me. That hurts. Sometimes the rod hurts. But what David sees here, as a shepherd, think of how many times he would have touched the sheep to protect, to do something to the sheep that would keep them from doing something much worse. 
Now we think of that rod of God. You know, when God uses the rod, he uses it perfectly. Perfectly. He doesn't hit too hard. He doesn't hit too, but he hits just right to get our attention. He touches us. I remember a time speaking many years ago and an old pastor who'd actually installed me as an elder was sitting beside me in this church and he got done and he says, uh, I was relatively young yet. He said, young man, you felt the rod of God, haven't you? I said, yes, I have. And you say, how can the rod of God comfort you? Because the end of the rod of God is blessing and life and peace. The end. It doesn't feel good. It isn't what we choose. It isn't what we want. But the end of God's rod is always blessing when we can look to him by faith. One time David wrote in the Psalms and he says, he knows the way I take and when he tries me, I will come forth like gold. You see, God is looking past the circumstance. He's looking past today's trial to the finished product that he wants to see in every life that's here tonight. He sees us. He knows our flesh. He remembers we're dust. He sees our weaknesses. But God is looking past that when he uses his rod. Someone here has felt the rod of God today. It doesn't feel very good. But that rod is so necessary in our Christian life to bring us back to him as his children. This is why Paul could write and say, to whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son who's disobedient. That rod from God is always coming in perfect love. It's hard to see that when you feel it, but it's coming in perfect love. And David was embracing this as he said, when I go through this difficult time and I, have, I don't have to fear because I know you're there and your rod and your staff will comfort me. David the shepherd probably would have held a rod in one hand and a staff in the other. And here it may be that he would use the staff just to touch the sheep, the rod to strike the sheep. You see, God has so many ways to speak to us to get our attention. He can just touch us. Or he can push us. He can strike us. But the one beautiful thing about God is we may not see this in the beginning, but when we look back in hindsight, we will see that he touched perfectly. Perfectly. To bring out in us what he wants us to be. To keep us by the green pasture. To keep us by the still waters. To keep us from harm in the valley of the shadow of death and whatever that may be. You know, we would like to think, you know, I remember one thing, time thinking as a young Christian, I thought, wouldn't it be something if, if, if all, all of my friends and stuff, we could just kind of go to some island and hang out till Jesus comes and just enjoy great fellowship and not have to have all these problems. And the Holy Spirit didn't let me think that very long. It just didn't work. It was, it was, there's not, and, and, and what happened was the, the Lord kept showing me, kept showing us that the Christian life is the most blessed life there is, but it's not easy. It has persecution. It has trials. And really this entire, we've just looked at Jesus's trials and his suffering, but this entire chapter is full, even as beautiful as is surrounding it, is testings and trials and hardships and struggles and difficulties and disappointments and letdowns and abandonments and everything else we could put in our list is all there. And David, as he goes in the fifth verse, he says, you, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Notice that. This is probably where I was. Lord, I'd like to have a nice table, but not around no enemies. No, God puts us where he wants us 
to use us in ways that we would never know to his glory. David, one of the Psalms said this, I believe in the one in the 60s, he said, he, he challenged uh, the people. He says, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Can God actually do that? And we know the answer. Yes, he can. But he'll put it in a desolate place. You know, I have a good friend, a, a great friend. He's, he goes to Calvary up in California, and we talk back and forth in the Word. He loves the Word. He's been a great blessing in my life. When we got down here to Arizona, this really wasn't our plan. We came down here to do a little work and come over to church, and I was still pastoring. Then we resigned. A whole bunch of things happened, and whoo, we're down here. He calls me up one day. He says, you know, John, you know what I think God did? He put you right down there in the middle of the desert to teach you, just like Paul. You'll learn some lessons, just like Saul of Tarshish. And we laughed. I thought that was kind of funny. But God is always working our life. You know, I thought a little bit later, I don't think you realize that. Uh, Really, this place is a lot more beautiful and gorgeous than you might ever think from California perspective. You know, the, the desert, I explain like this sometimes, the desert's like God. You gotta get close to see the beauty. And if you just drive the road, you'll never see the beauty of the desert. You'll never see the glowing, the, the, the beauty of some cactus just coming out. I love to hike, the, hike in the white tanks, hike there this morning. And and to be able to watch that life in the midst of desolation is so unbelievable because that's much more like the Christian life. This is what David is talking about here. If you look at this within the context when he says, Lord, you're going to still have a table. You're going to feed me. You're going to supply my needs right in the presence of my enemies. I don't want to be there. That's not, we'd like to eat with our friends. We'd like to hang out with our friends. But David here is saying, you will prepare the table right around all of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Oil was used in anointing and used in many medical uh, ways throughout the course of human history, really. We use oil yet today, symbolic of, a, of the Holy Spirit as we anoint people, as James teaches. We anoint to symbolize the work of the Holy Spirit and a submission to God's working in someone's life in which we're anointing and praying over. But David here says, Lord, you anoint me. You pour out your blessing within me in a way that's unexplainable, but unavoidable. This is God. You notice that it's flowing right in with the preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, we'd like to serve the Christian life. We've all been here. You know, I, I, I want to serve you, God, but could I, could I choose how I do it? God says, no, I, I'll choose how you do it. That's my choice. We got some of you, and I... I and he may call you. He may put a burden in your heart, and that's what you'll do. And David, though, was, was being anointed in his, his, with oil in the presence of his enemies in a, very, a place he would have never chosen. And notice what he says, my cup runs, runs over. And here he's saying, when you do it, God, it overflows, you know, when we do it, all we can do is fill the cup for a little bit. Oftentimes, if we create something, we add a byproduct to it, okay? So here's the, the positive, but over here's the negative. Over here's a new car, but here's the pollution. Here's a new bomb, but what do we do with the nuclear energy? The waste. But when God does it, he always does it perfectly and right and, and complete. And he says, my cup runs over. God, when he blesses, never intends for the blessing to stay inside the cup. When he is blessing, he's got somebody else in mind. He is thinking beyond us. I remember one time years ago when I was a young man, um, here, my father, who's still, he's still alive, and he, we thank God for him, but he made a comment to me as a young man and you know, certain things your parents say just stick with you. And he says, never forget that whenever God blesses you, he has someone else in mind. 
This is what Jesus had at the cross. He had other people in mind. He was thinking out there. And here David says, my cup, when you do it, you prepare the table. When you do it, regardless where you do it, when, my, when you anoint my head, my cup just runs over the top. Guess what's going to happen? My cup running over is going to somebody else. This is what the gospel teaches. We're not to live in isolation. Our hands are to remain open. Our heart is to be open. We're to go somewhere else and share with other people the gospel of Jesus. And David, as he comes to the end of this, and he, he's just beginning to speak of the tremendous blessing of God. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. You know, sometimes we'll almost say, well, goodness and mercy is like, kind of like two sheep. No, that's not what it is. David is saying, no, surely, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. And notice how long, all the days of my life. You know what he's really saying here? I want to go be running across the finish line when God's done with me. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In those last couple of verses, you will see protection. You will see provision. You'll see preparation. And you'll also see a promise that never goes away. That when we are God's children, God is going to bless tremendously as we look to him and respond to him and follow him. Before I, I close with prayer, I want to. I remember years ago um, reading about a Shakespearean, Shakespearean actor who grew up in a little town of Scotland, little village, and he became very, very famous. And he traveled the world, performing plays all over the world. And the little village got the word one day that this great actor was going to come back into their village, and they wanted him to do something. They didn't think he'd have a cast for a play, but someone suggested, why don't we have a, him come to the town hall and have him come up to the front at the town hall and we'll put up a stage and let's get the old pastor of the church together with this man and let him quote the 23rd Psalm. He knew the Bible when he was a boy. And someone said, well, why don't we make it a little contest? The Shakespearean actor can quote the 23rd Psalm and the old pastor can quote the 23rd Psalm. And someone said yes, and that's what happened. The crowd gathered in the, in the, in the city hall, and the Shakespearean actor just began to quote the 23rd Psalm like people had never heard it before. Every word was perfectly pronounced. Every sentence was per perfectly spoken. And when he finished, they, they felt sorry for the old pastor who was to say it too. And the old pastor began to say it too. And the people knew right away they shouldn't have done that. That wasn't even a contest. He just kind of fumbled through the words and got out the words and finally ended with what we've ended with tonight. And the people got ready to leave. And the Shakespearean actor stood up in front of his, the town where he was born. And he says, I need to tell you something that's really, really important tonight. He said, I knew the psalm, but your pastor knows the shepherd. This is what it's all about. To know the shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And regardless of what we get from this, this is the most important truth of what we've looked at tonight. Know the shepherd. It makes all the difference in every way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here with your children tonight. Lord, we just want to acknowledge that you have so tenderly guided us and protected us. You have, we have felt your rod, we have felt your love, we have felt your kindness. And 
Lord, tonight we have again felt your word as you have spoken to us each individually and also to collect collectively. I pray, Lord, that you will just uh, give us a heart for you, dear Jesus, as David has. Help us to just seek after you and always know that you are there and always have that confidence that no matter what happens, you're there and you care and love us with an everlasting love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't let go. I want to thank you, Lord, for the times that you chose a path that we did not choose, and yet, as we look back, we know it was the best path for us. So may this week be a blessed week for everyone here, Lord, and may your name be lifted up in our hearts and our lives, and may we, Lord Jesus, share you as the perfect shepherd of the sheep, not only by word, but also by deed, wherever we are throughout this week. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you all. Mm -hmm.